Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, I want to welcome everyone who is with us in our Clemens campus and everyone who's with us in our Sherwood Forest campus. It's great for us always to be together, great for us to be able to share around God's Word. We're in a series entitled Unexpected. We've been in this series for a while looking at the Old Testament book of Micah and looking at the God who is unexpected to us because of his nature, his character, and his work. We've seen so far that the God who is is not the God we expect because he is not what we want from the very beginning. We've seen together how it is that we human beings very naturally, uh, almost uh, uh, impulsively remake God. We, we remake him to be a God as we want him to be. And we've said that as a consequence of our remaking God, that uh, we actually can be living our lives for a God that does not exist. We take the parts of God we like, and we neglect the parts of his character and the way he works, and we set those to the side. And consequently, we wind up living our lives often for a God that does not exist. We've seen how the God of the Bible is a God of both unexpected love and a God of unexpected justice, that he isn't just all love and he isn't just all justice, but he is both, and we've seen how they complement each other. We've also seen how it is that God is a God who uses unexpected methods in this world and that one of the unexpected methods that God uses is he works through people to give good to people, particularly leaders. And we saw last week in particular that leaders carry a heavier responsibility before God because what they sow into the lives of the people who follow them everyone ultimately reaps. And so we saw last week in Micah chapter 3 how it is that God rebukes the leadership of Judah and uh, delivers consequences to the nation in part because of the way the leaders had led. Today we're going to be looking together at Micah chapter 4 which you'll find on page 778 in the worship Bibles that we provide as you come into the worship center at Sherwood Forest or that you will find underneath the chair in front of you or underneath your chair here in the Clemens worship area. All right, Micah chapter four is our passage for the morning. So what we have here is a, a breathtaking view of the future. And it's a dramatic shift from what we've seen Micah doing up to this point. Now, to this point, as one lady said to me after the first service, she said, this has been a rough series. I said, I know, I know. It's all sin and judgment and consequences and sin and false faith and consequences and more sin and more false faith and more consequences. It's been a heavy series. But suddenly here in Micah chapter 4, Micah makes a dramatic change in direction. And he moves from a prophecy of doom to a prophecy of hope. And I want us to see that together. Micah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. He says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. The mountain of the house of the Lord is Mount Zion, that uh, mount where David first established an outpost that eventually became the city of Jerusalem. At the very top of that mount ultimately sat the uh, temple of uh, God there. It shall come to pass, so Micah says, in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established or seen and understood to be the highest 
of the mountains. It will be held in high esteem. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the good laws of life that God has given, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more." But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. So after holding the leadership of Judah accountable for their poor leadership in Micah 3, we, we move on to Micah chapter 4. And it's important for us to just take a step back and look at Micah chapter 3, verse 12, the very last verse of Micah 3, to see what Micah says is coming uh, because of this leadership. He says that what is coming because of this failed leadership is a total destruction of Judah's capital city, Jerusalem. And there he says to Judah's leaders, because of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. It's like saying Washington, D.C. will become a field for farming. Washington, D.C. will become just a heap of rubbles. It will become like a woodlands. It will not be the great city that you remember or think of it when you think of uh, the, the capital. This great city and its great temple of God are going to become ultimately a wasteland. And here's what he's saying. The selfish, self-centered, evil plans of Judah's leaders are going to eventually bring some destructive consequences. Capital is going to be completely destroyed. But that isn't all he says, and that's why this is so powerful, this turn into Micah 4.1. He says effectively here, he says, you know what? Your leaders, they have plans, and their plans have consequences, but I, I need for you to know something. There is another leader. There is another plan. And that other leader and that other plan also has consequences. And while you're living, experiencing the consequences of your failed leaders, I want you to know that the day is going to come when you're going to experience the consequences of a leader whose leadership never fails. I want you to know you're going to experience a future with consequences that are good and healthy right and true, because the plans of this leader will preempt the plans of your poor, failed leaders. I want, Micah says, to give you hope. Hope. And so with this passage before us, I, I want to talk to you today about the unexpected God's unexpected plans for this world of ours. Now, what a world we live in. We, we live in an extraordinary world. I was thinking the other day about my iPhone. I got my mother an iPhone. We got one together. And uh, I mean, we sat right there in her house and I got out my iPad and, and I ordered the thing right there online. And, and I'm so proud of her. She, the thing arrived at her house. She didn't call me to come help her do it. I, I think I'm proud of her for this. I don't know if this represents a lack of faith in me to teach her how to use it or she just didn't want to bother me, but, or a combination of the two. I don't know. She went to Verizon. They got her, we got it shipped to her. She went to Verizon. They got her all loaded up. And sure enough, I got a request uh, for uh, find your friends. She wanted to find me. <laughs> I mean, I'm 58. My mother's still trying to find me. <laughs> Something's off with that. 
No, the truth is I need to find her, but <laughs> we need to find each other, don't we? We need to find each other. All right. So uh, I was thinking, you know, about the, the, this, incredible, this incredible instrument that we put in the palm of our hands with, with this, this metal and plastic and glass and silicon and all the other things that go into making this, this little box. We have extraordinary power. I, I can order books with this. I can read books with this. I can watch movies, watch documentaries on this thing. I, I, I can order a, a, an Uber. I, I can buy a car on this thing. I can pay my bills on this thing. I told the first service I could get a date with this thing, but then I said, I don't do that because I'm married, but I'm just saying I could. You've got to remember not to say that in my third service where my wife is, but <laughs> single people could, could, anyway. This is an incredibly powerful, powerful tool, right? Right in the palm of your hands. I, I can talk to about half the world's population using this because now about half the world's population has a mobile phone. That's amazing. That's amazing. I was reading the other day that uh, Americans, in spite of all the power we have, and we, we've got more power, more people have more power than any time in the history of humanity because of technology. We have more power. We have more wealth than, than any nation spread around has ever had. And at the same time, we are still very miserable. That we, we've, we found that even with more power, uh, more information, more things, more stuff, we're, we're still not satisfied. Some British... Uh, uh, scientists did some research to try to understand where the happiness gap was happening. We've well, got power, you've got things. What, what's the deal? And you know what they found? They found that you and I cannot be satisfied if we aren't convinced that we have a secure future. That if you have power today, and if you have lots of nice things today, that is wonderful, but you will never rest, you will never be satisfied unless and until you know that you will have those things tomorrow. And if you're not sure that you will have those things tomorrow, you will never really be fully satisfied today. You and I will be miserable. And one of the, one of the curses of this thing is that you can get news from all around the world in a heartbeat, and so much of the news that you get is very, very discouraging, isn't it? There's such a thing as having too much power. So the three of you who don't have one of these yet, maybe you're smarter than the rest of us. I don't know. And all the people who don't have one are saying, yes, we are smarter. You're richer for sure, but uh, you're probably smarter as well. With the help of these little metal boxes, we're deluged with what is wrong, what's, with what could be wrong, with what is going wrong, with wars and rumors of wars, with natural and environmental disasters. Every, every time we turn, it's not just the late um, atheist astrophysicist Stephen Hawking telling us that uh, in 100 years our planet's going to be uninhabitable and we'd better find a new planet between now and then or we're done. It's not just that. It's, it's the news that another 12 people have been killed in a rampage in, in, at Virginia Beach, that it's happened again. And we're wondering, is any place safe? It's the news that Russia is testing low-yield uh, nuclear warheads. It, it's the news that North Korea has tested three more ballistic missiles. It's that kind of news that causes us, when we're not binging on Pringles and Episode 6, do you know where I'm going? Episode 6. Program 34 on Netflix, 
when we're not binging on Netflix and Pringles, then we, it's then that we begin to ask, what's going to become of us? Is there any future? Is there any real hope for this world? Is there, is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for me? And inevitably, we want to ask this question. We want to ask, what, what is God's plan for us in this world? And in this series, we want to ask the question, what, what is the unexpected, God's unexpected plan for this world? We need to know. In fact, if we don't have this nailed down, then effectively, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. I'm not Micah uh, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I will tell you this. If we don't get this nailed down, we're in for a rough ride going forward. What is the unexpected God's unexpected plan for us and this world? Micah 4 shows us that that God not only has uh, a plan for this world, an unexpected plan, but that his unexpected plan comes with three unexpected promises. Here they are. When it comes to the future, God promises to make the old new. He promises to make the rejected accepted, and he promises to make the defeated victorious. And the great secret of living with an uncertain future, and by the way, all of the future is uncertain, isn't it? Have you figured that out? You know what's happening right now, but you never really know what's going to happen tomorrow. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? The only way to really survive it, Micah shows us how to do it, is by looking through the lens of the promises of God. If you're taking notes, write that down. You won't want to miss that. The way to survive, the way to live into the future is by looking through the lens of the promises of God. And because this is so important, what we're going to do today is we're going to take the first promise and we're going to look at it. And then next Sunday, as the Lord is willing, we'll look at the the next two. But I want to look with you together at uh, God's promise of making the old new. And I want to look at that and I want us to talk about it as the lens, as one of the lenses through which we're called or invited to look at the future, a lens that gives us the capacity to face it as we need to face it. All right, you ready to begin? Let's get started. Look with me, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. We've already read the passage. Micah, as we said, moves here from a prophetic word of doom to a prophetic word of hope. And he first shows us how God's plan, God's unexpected plan for the future is, watch now, unexpectedly purposeful. That God has a purpose that is at work even here and even now. The old Jerusalem, look at chapter 3, verse 10. The old Jerusalem built with bloodshed, Micah says, is going to be replaced with a new Jerusalem that is coming in the latter days, chapter 4, verse 1. Notice that the coming of this new Jerusalem represents, as a result, a a, a great reversal. The old Jerusalem was scorned. The new Jerusalem is going to be uh, 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 raised up. The old Jerusalem was unwanted. The new Jerusalem is going to be the object of the world's desires. God is going to do something that no one would imagine he would do when Jerusalem is decimated. No one would ever expect this kind of result, but that is what he will do. Great and powerful nations will stream to it, seeking what they can only find there and what they can only find there. God's good laws and his words of life taught by God himself, verse 2b. Peoples from around the world will understand that who God is and and what he wants for them is best for them, finally. I mean, this is hard for us to get our minds around, but, but the picture is that finally humanity figures out we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to do this right, but God does. We're going to ask him, how should we live our lives? Our greatest problem has been over and over again, has it not? Our greatest problem has been that we have lived our lives saying, I can do this myself, I can do this myself, I know what's best for me, I can do this myself. Finally, in this world of ours, and again, hard to put our minds around, 
Nations will be saying, we don't know how to do this. We can't do this ourselves. Let's go and ask God how we should live with some surprising consequences. The Scripture says that as a result of this, look at verse 3, the nations of the world will come to, to God to arbitrate their differences. He shall, verse 3 says, judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations afar off. His reach is going to be a global reach. And the result will be that disputes among nations are no longer resolved with war. An unexpected peace prevails because Jerusalem will be made radically and unexpectedly new. The world will be made radically and unexpectedly new. In our old world, conflict between nations, wars and rumors of war, they're all normal with no, no end in sight. And here's the, here's the hard reality. We are getting better and better and better at war with every passing decade. When you look at the 20th century, what you see in the 20th century because of the advance of technology is the bloodiest century of human history. We are really good at killing. But this new world with a new Jerusalem at its very center means that there is war no more. Why? Micah explains it at the end of verse 3 in those famous and unforgettable words. Micah describes the nations dismantling their military machines and giving them to life-giving purposes rather than to life-taking purposes. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And this new world with a new Jerusalem at its center means there is now a real lasting peace. Why? Because now all of the disagreements between nations are arbitrated and resolved by the king of the nations. There is no need for weapons anymore. We don't need to fight it out. He always brings the perfect solution. And what that means for those living is now a real lasting peace. And I love this picture in verse 4. Now, granted, you and I aren't going to get excited about grapes and figs, but understand the picture. Here we go. Here we go. Are you ready? A beautiful picture. It's kind of an idyllic picture, but a beautiful picture of peace. Do you see it? But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Every person individually will have all that they need for life and some good things thrown in. It will be abundant. No one will take from another the fruit of their labor. It will be life as it was meant to be. And notice how he ends this verse. And, and there will be no more what? What's the word there? The, there will be no more what? What is it? Look at the end of verse 4. No one will make them what? Afraid. No more fear. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Every person, every family will enjoy the fruit of their labors with no one to threaten them. In the new world that is coming, uncertainty about the future is replaced with certainty. And so notice with me how Micah 
unpacks all of this. And, and, and he's giving us a picture that, quite frankly, because we've always lived in a broken world, it's very hard for us to, to really engage this and, and, and to see the whole picture. But, but they're living in a world where there's never the threat of nuclear attack. There's never the threat that your sons would be called up for war. There's never that threat. You, you, you're living in a world where you, you don't need an alarm system. In fact, you don't need locks. You don't even need doors. You can leave your best stuff right out in your front yard. Just don't live near me. I don't like messes. But you could do that, and, and nobody will touch it. In that world, you can send your children out to play and never worry a single moment. Not a moment. Notice how in verse 5, Micah describes the response of the faithful to his message of the old becoming new. And even though, watch this, they are living as he speaks. They are living in the midst of hardship. And now he's just prophesied a, a judgment that is right around the corner, that is in the future, but is right around the corner. And, and now, even though they're living with hardship in the present and fear for the immediate future, God's promise to make the old new means that they can declare today and tomorrow, watch now, all the other peoples, verse 5, walk in the name of its God. But we, this is our decision, knowing what we know, knowing God's promise, knowing God's commitment, knowing God's intention to take what is old and make it new, to take the old Jerusalem, the old world system, and give us a brand new one that is radically different from anything we've ever known, knowing this. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever, starting right now. Starting right now. Times are hard, but we will walk in the name of our Lord and God. Times may get worse, but if they do, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God. Because we are looking at our future through the lens of God's promise, the God who says, I will make all things new, new, new. These faithful ones live their lives now God's way, knowing that God is having his way now and in the future and will forever. They see the future differently with the old becoming new. And they model for us how an uncertain future can be faced. And they show us how it can be faced with comfort and how it can be faced with courage and how it can be faced with confidence. Why? Because out of this promise of God comes the conviction that what is right now will not always be. And what is now will in some ways get worse. The, Paul told Timothy, he said, things are going to get worse before they get better. But they have this conviction that what is now will in some ways get worse, but at the same time, things are also already getting better and better. And one day, all things will be infinitely better. Now, the New Testament shows us even more than Micah saw. It presents the, the last days that Micah speaks of in verse 1 as a period of time that began with Christ's ascension to his heavenly throne and 
concludes with a new heavenly city called, um, can you guess it, the new Jerusalem, yeah, coming down to earth. And so this promise of God, of the old becoming new, comes in successive installments over time. And so the New Testament teaches us to see that it's not only coming, it's already here. People will ask me sometimes, are we living in the end times? Do you think we're finally in them? I don't want to go, we've been in them. We've been in them. They started when Jesus went back. We're still in them. But it's coming in installments. It's not only coming, it's already here. And if you look around, if you look around with understanding, you, you can see God already working, bringing the old into the new. The old is already being made new. Even now, with old lives and old marriages and old families and old communities around the world being made into new lives, new marriages, new families, new communities, every time you see an old person, a person living in the old ways of life, finding new life in God's new covenant relationship offered in Jesus, every time you see someone come to faith in Jesus with repentance, every time you see him change someone's life, you are seeing the old become new. You are seeing God at work. You're seeing his purpose being worked out. Every person in this room who's been born again is a living pointer to God's future. What he's done for you, he's going to do for the world. I got a wonderful, I don't even know if they're in here, but I'm not going to mention names, but I got a wonderful card from a lady this past week, and, and I worked with them a couple of years ago with some marital issues, and they were pretty rough ones. And she sent me a card this week, and I love to get these cards. And she said, effectively, Pastor, I just wanted to write you a note and tell you that my marriage, that was so messed up has been so healed up. I've got a new marriage with the same man. It's just that he's not the same man. She can't believe marriage can be the way it can be. But She's just discovered on a deeper level that the God of this universe is God who takes old things and old broken people and old broken circumstances and he makes them new. Every time he does that, what he's saying to the world and what he's saying to his people is, don't get discouraged. Take hope. What you see me doing now, I'm going to do it later. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Things, things may be hard right now. And I know, I know, I know, I know. Things may get worse. They may seem like they're irreparably worse. It may look like Jerusalem has turned into a wooded height. Everything's toppled over. It's just good for nothing but farmland and animals. I know. I know. I know. I know. Hang on. I promise you, the old is going to be made.
You got my word on it. That's why Peter in 2 Peter 3 warns all of us not to take these latter days lightly or God's promise of the new replacing the old lightly. He says, listen, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is rather patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that all should come into a new life. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth And the works that are done on it will all be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, don't ever forget this. We are waiting for new heavens. We are waiting for a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We have an extraordinary promise. And so seeing the future through the lens of this promise, believers are equipped for the uncertainty that life in this world brings. And because of this promise, they can live in this world literally saying, we can stand what's coming at us now because we know what's coming to us later. What is will not always be. God's plan includes a purposeful promise He is making all things new. Perhaps the best, best word you can give to yourself, the best word you can give to another person who is going through excruciating times, if they know Christ, is to say to them, listen, I've not been where you've been. I've not stood where you stood. But here's what I know about the God who loves you. He is committed to making all things new. It's dark now. And the blackness is thick, but the dawn is coming. He makes all things new. Now watch this. Here we go. The breaking of this new Jerusalem, of this old Jerusalem, the breaking of this old Jerusalem, the breaking of this old earth will be painful. But they will make the way for the blessing of a new Jerusalem and a new earth. When God is ready to do a new work, inevitably He starts with breaking. When an old life needs to be made new, He will begin by breaking it. When an old marriage needs to be made new, He will begin by breaking it down. When an old dysfunctional family needs to be made new, God will begin by breaking it down. 
when old community patterns and cultures aren't working and they're delivering destruction, God will break it down. But in the breaking of the old by the power of God always comes the blessing of the new. And perhaps our most critical application here is this, that God has to take self and sin from us before He can ever give Himself and good to us. A lot of times we wonder where God is in the breaking of our lives. And we feel as if He's abandoned us. And we don't realize that in truth, even in the breaking, He is working to deliver good. He has this way. He has the power. You hate what happened to you. So does he. You hate where your life has landed. It hurts. Okay. His ambition ultimately and finally for you is good. And he says to you, will you trust me? You will never be, never be satisfied until you trust me. I am the God who makes old things new. So what is the unexpected God's unexpected plan for us in this world? What is it? Well, in part, God's unexpected plan for us is to take the old from us so that he might give a new good to us. Is it painful? You better believe it. I had an interesting week this past week. I got that nice note. Uh, we married A.J. off to Julia Gretchen. You remember A.J.? Ladies, he's no longer single. He is off the market and spoken for. We got the uh, knot tied in Sherwood Forest. You don't even have your AJ because he's on his honeymoon, and you've got Bill, and what a gift you've gotten. What a gift you've gotten. But um, I also had the opportunity to join a couple in our church and pray over their new home. Charles and Lori Hayes and their son Chris saw their house burned to the ground. About a year or so ago, that they made it out alive was a miracle. Chris heard something, shouted out. The neighbor came around and rapped on the door, and they got out just in time. They showed me the the metal door that separated the fire from the house at first warped. The only thing much that was left was a Bible edges scorched, but still intact, one that Charles had had since he was a boy. Charles was telling me the uh, other day when we went out to pray on that very spot in their brand new house, he was telling me that the morning after the fire, he came down from his neighbor's house where he had spent the night, went down the stairs and looked over his home that was now gone, everything he owned, gone. 
And he said, I just had to turn away. I couldn't look. But he said, I heard God say to me, I want you back. I want you back. And if it takes a little subtraction to give you my good addition, I'll do the subtraction. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful picture of the way God works. Now in that house, that new house that got built into the corner, that Bible, (laughs) as the foundation, if you will, a lasting testament to the fact that God spared their lives, that they belong to him. And that he deserves to have them back forever. It is the way, loved ones, God works. You know, he gives us, though, an option. I don't know if you've thought about this, but he gives us the option. He says to us, rather than me having to work with subtraction to bless you with addition of good things, you can always uh, confess your sins and you'll be faithful and just. I'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and there are some subtractions that will never come into our lives because we've dealt with them ourselves. Now, whether your house burns down or not, that's in the mystery of God. My house might burn down today, and I. Either way, there are things that come into our lives, a breaking that comes into our lives, a subtraction that comes into our lives simply because sin is there and God loves us so much, He wants to be done with it, and He wants you back. Does that make sense? So as we gather here and as we look at this great promise of God, my question to you today is, if you're a follower of Jesus, is there any subtraction that is going on in your life? Something that hurts that's caused you to question God? Is there any subtraction in your life that needs to happen? Something that shouldn't be there but is. Perhaps today you would say, you know, I'm not really sure about my relationship with God. I'm not really sure where I stand with Him. But if this is the future and this is where it's going and God is at the center, then I don't want to go into the future without Him. Perhaps today, this day, is the day when you would step out and by faith turn from the old life to the new life that only Christ can give. In Christ, Paul says, the old has passed away. The new has come. Father God, in this place, we bless you for this extraordinary lens as you've given us to look through and see the future. Father, we, we see in our world and we hear in our world of wars and rumors of war, of plagues and famine. Fa- Father, we, we see our, our planet decimated by our treatment of it. We look to the future and... We cannot help but ask, is there any hope? And we hear you saying, behold, I make all things new. And in your promise, we find reason for hope. Bless you for it.
Would you work, Father? Would you move in the hearts and lives of people today? Some who are going through a hard time and have run away from you in the midst of it when they should be running to you. Others, Father, that you've spoken to again and again about a matter, an issue in their lives that should not be there and they belong to you and yet they're not yielding to you and you're coming on the verge of initiating sub subtraction because you want there to be good in their lives by way of addition. I pray that today, Lord God, they would deal with that issue themselves. I pray for that friend here today who has no certainty about their destiny of where they will spend eternity. I pray that today would be the day they would give their lives completely, totally to Christ Jesus as the one who died for them and who lives, who alone can give life abundant here and life eternal. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? I'll ask our prayer partners to come, line up across the front. You know, it strikes me, you may not, you may not need this message right now, but one day I tell you, I tell you, we're all going to need this message. I'm not a prophet or son of a prophet, but I think we got some hard times coming. But there is not a thing that can come or will come that we cannot face if we know the leader, we know his plan, and we know his son, Jesus. If God's spoken to you, you're, you're ready to make a decision for Christ, I invite you to come. Ladies, we have ladies here, and gentlemen, we have men. If you would just like to come and pray about a matter the Lord has shown you, I want to invite you just to slip out from where you are and come. Or we'll be glad to pray with you as together we sing this song of response. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.